The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of Eat Sleep List. You're on for list making right here on the network at BICBP-radio.com. My name is Matt Johnson, uh, your host for the show, and today I'm joined by a new first-time guest here. We're about to list our top ten favorite uh, extinct animals, right? Yep. Uh, everybody, please welcome to the show, Tice. Tice, what's going on, dude? How are you? It's good to be here, Matt. It's I know. Finally, we've only talked yeah. about doing a podcast together for what three years now? An episode. It's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been a hot minute. It's been a hot minute. It, it took me a while to think of like a good topic that I'm like. I threw a couple at you. I'm like, mm, what would I be know. good for <laughs> both of us, and and what hasn't been already been done? Because like you've it's, had a lot of good. This this project it's very like evergreen. You can cover. A ton of topics. That's why I like it. Yeah. It's my favorite. It's honestly like I liked my football show because, you know, just I, I love football that much. But deep down, Eat Sleep List is like my low-key favorite one because I can – if I, whatever I'm feeling that week, I could just do. Oh, and you can throw it on anytime. It's not like contingent upon like the week. Right. Of, not time sensitive. Yeah. Right. Like – a list on sandwiches. I never thought I'd uh... <laughs> listen to a podcast about that. Yeah, like I've I've gone through the backlog and I'm, they're all. It's everybody has an interesting perspective, and that's what I like about it. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I, it's good to hear that people actually listen to my stuff. So it's always it's always good to hear that. Um, yeah, so we uh we you sent us a couple different ones ideas kaiju's uh there was obviously the one we're doing today might have been a, I think you were talking about eighties at one point I'm supposed to do it with another gentleman so I, I was think, like, yeah eighties movies yeah. like Adult Swim shows that's right that's right and hey I mean listen like there's yeah. plenty of opportunities to do all you know some of the other ones too I'm always oh, yeah. looking for guests yeah. and and oh, whatnot yeah. so. Um, so this won't be a one-time deal, but uh, but you are a first-time guest, and you obviously listen. So I got to run you through the ringer. Uh, top five, I got top five facts, cool yeah. things uh, about you. So number one, I think is probably the most pertinent to today is I have a degree in biology. Oh, that's <laughs> so way cool! That's, I did not know that. <laughs> that. That's that's kind of why I threw this one out here. It's like, oh, I can talk about that for a while. Okay, cool. And like, kind of expound upon some things, if, you know, possibly. Whereas the other ones are like, yeah, I could probably talk about that, but it's like this is something I just I it's near to, I heart. went to school for and I studied. So, yeah. This is that. That being said, I'm not an expert. I mean, nobody's nobody is, but. If I get stuff wrong here today, guys, you're always going to get stuff wrong. So. Always. No, you're good. I mean, honestly, this is really cool because we've never done, uh, I mean, any list like this. This is the first of its kind, like nothing like animal related, nothing, any of that. This this might be the first like science-y episode that yeah, I've done. Like I was, that's why I threw this one on here because it's like, it's something like I'm always kind of thinking about the biology aspect of just everything. So... That's probably why I threw it out there. Right. Um, so number two, probably the most pertinent between you and I, I 
attempted to be a pro wrestler for a couple years. He did. <laughs> and that's how we met each other. Um, Where did we meet? Was it PWR? No. Uh, or did you come to a BCW show? I, can't I think I came to an uh, ESW show, actually. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. I think that's... And then we weren't on a show together until PWR, I think. PWR? Yeah, we actually wrestled... I think we were in the same match. I think so, yeah. And that was my like, first and last time there. And, but yeah. I, <laughs> you did get to... Uh, you were. I think you were on that BCW show we did in Jamestown. Oh, the... Are you had a triple about, threat with Tyler and someone else. Oh no, it was a BCW. It was uh, are you talking about the weird alien one? No, that wasn't it. Do you remember that? I wasn't there for it, but I seen pictures. I of was it. on that show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I didn't. They didn't put me in a costume. I was on like one of the a tag match with uh Tyler Nitro, and uh, <laughs> I think Vince Valor was my like one of my opponents. I can't remember who the other guy was. Okay, but, yeah it. That show was wild. It was <laughs> That's based on well, like <laughs> there's a guy who has like this collectible card series for like pro wrestling, but he also does one like it's Champions of the Galaxy. I don't know the name of it, but it's all like alien base, and it was weird. <laughs> yeah, pro wrestling's a weird place, man. That's why I got out of it. It was fun. Oh, you know, definitely they're, fun. They're, they got guys from like. I think what helped is that they had like guys from Chikara there, so they kind of had an idea of, mm, yeah, this is yeah, don't take it too seriously. <laughs> right, right, right. But pro wrestling, not for everybody, and that's a good thing, honestly. It keeps quality up, to yeah. be honest. And at least you, you could say you look back, you know, look oh, back yeah, down the year that you, you did it, you definitely. tried it. I don't regret it at right. all. Good. But if you're looking to get into pro wrestling and you're not like super athletic or like fit that type there's always a place for you in pro wrestling for sure like if it's like audio video production refing even refing is super important i don't think people enough people acknowledge that in no, terms of don't. keeping flow and yeah if you have bad hearing don't be a pro wrestler cuz <laughs> i've had six sets of tubes in my ears over my life so my eardrums are kind of not great. So when you're trying to call spots kind of quietly, it can go bad. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. yeah unfortunately so. Uh, so number three, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. That's why I usually spend most of my free time doing. I've been doing it for a while. It's kind of my activity and my social outlet. Right, right. Um. I went there because I wrestled in high school for, like, four years, and I think that's another reason why I kind of, like, gravitated towards you because you were a high school wrestler. For sure. Very decorated. No, I loved having you guys wrestler. around. Yeah. I loved having you. I loved vouching for you and Tyler. And Yeah, it was and, very nice having somebody with that shared experience and kind of similar mindset there. But it was a—if you were a wrestler in high school, go try out Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I mean— it's not as demanding as wrestling oh, in no? terms of it's still demanding, but it's not like um it, it's a little less impact, I would say. I see. I like the sound of that. My my back likes the sound of oh, that. Oh yeah. I I mean <laughs> and my shoulders would probably need yeah. surgery at some point. I, I like the sound of that. I I'm glad I kind of got out of stuff 
before that happened. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um number four. Uh I grew up reenacting and I think that's kind of you bring up a lot that you're a big history buff. And oh, like I love every, it. Every time I hear it, I'm like, and you brought up Fort Niagara before. I'm like, oh, that's where I spent most of my like summers as a kid. You literally do reenactments? Not me anymore. Um, my you used parent, to do reenactments? I, I used to do. Um, that's the coolest thing. My parents, you know, we would do French and Indian War, and that's the one. Yeah, so, so awesome. we would, um, I mean, every almost every summer, I would be at the 4th of July Grand Encampment. My parents still do it. So if you ever go up on a July 4th weekend and you go into the castle, into the kitchen, my mom's probably the one doing demonstration in the kitchen. Get out of here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so if you're ever up there, you can swing by. So we're going to have to do a history episode at some point. I mean, I guess you're a history buff in a sense? Yeah, like I listen to the the top 10 historical periods when I'm like, I kind of had my list in my head, too. I'm like, it's stuff that was definitely different, but it's like, that's that's the cool thing about this show is that everybody has a different take. Right. It's it's all about perspective, I think, with this show. Oh, yeah. Everybody, yeah. everybody, you know, sees things a certain way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, my number one historical period is going to be different than your number one historical period for a variety of reasons. And I think... It's cool because it tells you a little bit about the person as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt. No doubt. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, number five, it's just kind of like a general, I'm a big nerd. I mean, I think that's another reason why we kind of get get along so well is that as I'm sitting here, <laughs> uh, people at home can't see this, but there's just nerd ephemera covering the walls and everywhere. Everywhere. Shelf of toys. Toys. Yes. You haven't even seen inside the podcast. No, yet. I haven't. We'll but have to do that at the end. That's, that was another reason why it was like, I think it was, I was, I was glad you asked me to, you know, come on this show. Cause like there was, a, there were a ton of different topics I probably could have talked about with you. So yeah. it's like, uh, you, something with comics, so you could do that. Uh, well, I knew, whatever. yeah, and that's I was like yeah, comics. I know you like, like you, you, you like all comic book stuff, but you've given me a lot of suggestions of non like Marvel DC properties. I try, and yeah. I was, I was like, well, shoot, I guess like he makes a good point. Like the comics are a lot bigger than Marvel and DC. Yeah, I know uh, you're a big Hellboy stan. Oh yeah, I, huge I, Hellboy. Stan. I love. I'm Hellboy is probably my favorite comic book of all time. Um. I think one of the reasons why is it has a very encapsulated story. It's not like it's not like Marvel or DC where you have runs and then all of a sudden the runs can be undone, even though they're really good. Like, right? I mean, I've read a lot. Like, I've gotten back into reading some of the modern comic books, like the modern Marvel runs that come out recently, and some of them are great. Like. Uh, the Immortal Hulk. Have you heard of that? Is that a newer one? It's a newer one from okay. like 2018. I think the run started. Okay. Uh, the writer is Al Ewing. Uh, it's the Hulk. Like I've never been a big Hulk guy, but this His comics are tough to get into. This changed things because it looks at the Hulk from a like horror and body horror perspective. Oh, and it like investigates the relationship between Banner and Hulk as two distinct personalities 
it's just really interesting but it's like it expands upon the hulk universe i guess of gamma mutates okay of like people who have been altered by gamma radiation like she hulk or red hulk or leader right yeah Yeah. like anybody like that it's it makes this universe this horrifying universe of there's an afterlife specifically for them below hell and then a green door opens up and that's when like they can no gamma mutates can ever die they automatically just go through that green door and come right back. Hmm. And, like, it gets pretty gruesome. Like, you'll see Bruce Banner's throat get slashed, but as soon as that happens, he starts to turn into the Hulk, and it's like, he, you know. And he's okay. Yeah, because I think in the movie they say, like, something in, like, the first Avengers. He's like, I tried to put a bullet in my mouth, but the big guy spit it back out. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like that, but in more gruesome detail. It really goes on the yeah. Transforming the Hulk isn't a pleasant thing. <laughs> no, no. They've really they did good good job like visually exploring that in the in the later movies. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. So all right. Oh, I didn't mean to digress too long. No, you're fine. I love it, dude. I love the cut the small talk. I love it. So all right, there you go. This is your top five things with uh, with Tice. Little get to know him. Uh, you ready to make our top ten list? Oh yeah. All right. I'm ready. Kick us off with our number ten. With your number ten. My number ten is an animal called the thylacine. Are you familiar? Have you ever heard of this animal? Uh, thylacine. I've heard of it. Now it went Google extinct it. in 1931, so it's a recent. Like. <gasps> no, it's on my list. Okay. But under oh. under under another name. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, probably like Tasmanian tiger. Yes. Tasmanian yes. Wolf. Yes. Yes. Spoiler yeah. alert. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's really interesting because. So in Australia, there are only two types of mammals that exist there. You have um, marsupials, and their young develop in a pouch. They don't develop internally in like an amniotic sac, like with um, they don't develop a placenta. They're non-placental mammals, right? So, um, and the other kind of mammals are monotremes, and those are things like. Uh, platypuses and echidnas. They're the mammals that lay eggs. Okay. But, so, Australia, the only kinds of uh, endemic mammals you have there are either marsupials or monotremes. So, the thing that's interesting about the thylacine is that it has a very canine morphology. And, like, despite that, it's nowhere near related to any kind of placental canid and there's a a cool way of explaining this it's like a good case study of this phenomenon called convergent evolution okay and convergent evolution occurs when you have two species that are distantly related and they evolve similar characteristics because they're under um similar selective pressures so like even though a Tasmanian tiger, Tasmanian wolf is nowhere near related to a gray wolf. It's it has similar morphological features because it's under similar selective pressures and it's filling a similar ecological niche. If that makes sense, it does. Okay, okay, that makes sense. So, like you can see this everywhere. Um, like whales are a kind of like a convergent evolution, you could say, because that aquatic um flippers and tail fin kind of thing is you know you see that in fish too so right um it's just a really interesting 
that's probably why it's on my list. It's just a really interesting case study, and you can find footage of it. It's really eerie because it's in it's in black and white, and there's footage of it like the style the style of the scene can do this special thing where its jaw can like open like 120 degrees. I think it's not like a it's probably it was probably like a display thing. It wasn't it didn't have super strong jaws. Um, it probably hunted other small like marsupials and stuff in Australia and Tasmania. But one of the reasons why it went extinct for good in Tasmania is because there was a bounty put on its head because they were like, this is interfering with our livestock. But then they found out it didn't have the kind of killing power in its jaws to kill things like sheep Hmm. in Tasmania. So it's like kind of... It went extinct because, you know, we didn't know anything about it. Right, and unfortunately now we do, and it's too late. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, so that's you my give number it a, 10. Uh, I like the, the vivid description, because I, I can assure you my, my descriptions are not going to be as I, cool trying, as that. I'm trying no, not please, to be, yeah. uh, No, I want you to. I absolutely want you to. I, I like that. I like that aspect about this oh, episode. Here's another fun fact. Sure. Tasmania protected them 59 days before the last one died. It's just like... It's, I you know, it was the '30s, so I mean we're very. We've come a long way since, like in, in terms of scientific knowledge in the '30s, we've you know, we definitely came a long way. Yeah. But like, I don't know how that happened. Yeah. So they actually, I I read, I was actually watching, uh, I like watching the Joe Rogan uh, experience, yeah. and they had a guy on. Can't remember what his name was, but he actually believes that they still might be alive. That, that's a There's thing. Because of where their range of where they were at in the world. Yeah, um, they range from like New Guinea to Australia to Tasmania. So that was a wide range, but they tend to say that they went extinct on mainland Australia, New Guinea, from like four thousand to five thousand years ago. Okay, that's when the first uh, human settlers came. But that's, you know, those, they're, you know, that they're the populations that became the aboriginals and they had a different way of interacting with the wildlife than we did. But the introduction of humans, regardless, kind of changed things because we also brought dingoes. Dingoes aren't <laughs> endemic to Australia. Right. But here's another but. Um, it's another contended thing that if maybe dingoes if dingoes played a part in it because they had different kind of hunting patterns. Like dingoes are more um, diurnal, so they hunt during the day, whereas thylacines were more crepuscular, like dawn, dusk, and then nighttime. So different habits of, you know, predation. So they don't know if they compete or not, but that's one of the, like, hypotheses as to why they went extinct. Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting. No, I let, this is going to be a cool learning experience for me. I didn't know. I mean, I, I've seen, like I said, it's going to be on my list, but I've seen like the, the footage of it from like the 1930s in some yeah, kind of zoo. Really weird, yeah. It's really It's very eerie to see like yeah. extinct animals on, on live it, on footage. It's sad. Yeah. Oh, it's, I, it's incredibly I, I, yeah. depressing. Yeah. It's incredibly depressing. That's what bothers I mean, that's the worst thing about humanity is that we just we just take and take and take. And well, yeah, like, animals are usually, unfortunately, at the... Uh, you know, at the expense of a lot of animals and other things. Unfortunately, extinction is a, a necessary, like, fact of 
biological ex- existence. Right, through evolution, but, depending on, you know, your your religious beliefs and stuff and, and all that. You but, know. like, yeah, um, human activity has definitely thrown a wrench into <laughs> normal, you know. Oh, it sped things up unnecessarily. Yeah, like, yeah. My yeah, number yeah. 10 is, is one that humans definitely... Um, played a part in. So my number 10 is uh, the Stellar's Sea Cow, Hydromalus gigas. Um, I'm not familiar with the species, but I know, I know what sea cow is. Okay. So this thing is like, I, I just like, the, I've always liked the shape of it. I've always think, thought that, like I've seen sea cows, I've heard of sea cows. Mm-hmm. They kind of look like, they're kind of adorable <laughs> in their own like weird yeah. oh, sort yeah, of yeah. way. You know, the, the, they got their faces and these big bloated bellies. And uh, they smush up against the tanks. Yes. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, so um, humans actually eradicated these things really quickly. So um, the sea cows, you know, again, biology, their makeup, their, their I guess the physical nature, anatomy. Yeah. Uh, anatomy of a sea cow, um, they literally just sit on top of the water and float. Mm-hmm. They're not meant to dive and go underwater that's just they're just not made to do that it's 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 very difficult thing for them to uh there's this big pressure change in between like depths and water so yeah super bloated so um so yeah they can actually get like into the length of like 30 feet uh they can weigh up to about 10 metric tons which is about twenty two thousand pounds And uh, but yeah, they're massive. They're very docile. They're very like lax. Mm-hmm. But they float at the surface. And uh, unfortunately, they were made for easy targets of like Russian, like you know, Russian seal hunters. Mm-hmm. They they would mm-hmm. hunt them for meat and and all sorts of stuff. And uh, unfortunately, like this is like the most depressing thing. Thirty years after they were discovered, they went extinct. We're seeing that quite a bit. Yeah, 1741 was when they were discovered by George W. Steller. And then in 1768, the last one was eradicated, and they have no preserved specimens left in existence. Yeah, um, there are definitely a lot of factors that contribute to that. I mean, human activity is the big one, but outside of that, you have things like, well, maybe this was a small population to begin with. Possibly, maybe this. Yeah, for thirty years to be eradicated. That's 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 a very that yeah. Um, you could have things like yeah, small populations lead to a lot of problems for a species' continued existence. Right. No, for sure. And then again, like anatomy, it's like the survival of the fittest kind of thing. Uh, unfortunately, that the the nature of that theory, that that ideology, is very ugly. But if this. It can't, you know, go underwater and, and protect itself. You know, it's gonna, it's it's an unfortunate thing too. Um, kind of making it easy. I don't, I doubt they were they're quick swimmers. Not that Probably I'm just, not, not that I'm just like, yeah, go. Kill no, things, no, but. It, it's there's no justification. You're not trying to justify it. No, at all. not at all. No, but it's. You could say this was an act of natural. It's not really natural selection since there was such a heavy human component to this but what can what counts as natural selection or artificial is can kind of be messy because artificial selection is technically when we intervene right even though we're you know hunting them hunting is a natural aspect of exist biological existence so 
<laughs> right. Yeah. No, exactly. It's one of those tough. It's one of those tough things because animals hunt each other, and you know, humans hunt things. So that's my number ten. All right, uh, my number nine is called Stupendomies. It is existed around thirteen to five million years ago in South America. Okay, it is the largest freshwater turtle known to exist. It had a carapace length, so a carapace is like the back of the turtle. Uh, it had strength, straight carapace length of seven point seven feet to eight feet long. It was around six to six and a half feet wide. That's awesome. In terms of its shells, so like in total, it could be eleven feet long. Um, Stupendomies was a pleurodiron, and a pleurodiron is a turtle. It, the common nomenclature for it is a side neck turtle. So you have two different t- kinds of turtles. You have uh, cryptodirons and pleurodirons. Cryptodirons are the kind of turtles that can withdraw their head into their shell. Uh, pleurodirons can't do that, so they kind of like tuck their sh- head into their sideways into their shell. And I bring that up because the kinds of turtles, freshwater turtles that mainly exists in South America are pleurodirons. So it's just kind of like a neat uh, continuity of life. I feel like there. I've seen a fossil of this before. Um, yeah, in, it's, per, in person. I think it's at the Smithsonian, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure. I think you're right. But one of the cool things about it is that the males had horns on either side of like the opening of their shell on their carapace. It was probably used for um, combat between males because we see this behavior or this morphology and behavior in things like uh, a sulcata tortoise. And those are the big African spur thighed. Like if you go to a pet store and there's a tortoise walking around, like a big tortoise walking around, that's a sulcata tortoise. Okay. And usually the males have like this on their uh, plastron, which is like the underbelly shell part of the turtle. Has like this part near the opening that juts out, and it's kind of theorized that, or hype. You know, we've observed them kind of ramming into each other for that purpose. So the males in Stupendomies probably did that with their carapacial horns. Okay, all right, very cool. Yeah, I wonder why. Uh, um. Like these, like back in the day. I mean, obviously, like there's a couple in mind that are just the massive iterations of you know what we have now. Why those kind of species died out like that? Why? Why? Why don't the larger creatures kind of work out? Um, I mean, even though the the numbers thirteen and five are in front of it, millions of years is a very long time, and uh, a lot can change in terms of like climate and um geography these things can change so drastically within that time that it might not have been able to the new environment might not have been able to uh sustain an animal that size you might not have had other um animals that could uh prey on of you know that size like okay so that's one of the whole like could the loch ness monster actually exist in loch ness because of like is it is there enough food of that size for it to exist within that area? Um, I'm not sure how the Loch Ness connects to 
the ocean, <laughs> but um, that, that's off topic. But not having prey of that size can, you know, play into the extinction of those animals. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I see. I, uh, that, that definitely makes sense. Larger bellies to fill and, and all sorts of yeah. stuff like that. So, okay. All right, very good. My number nine, this is where I have the Tasmanian tiger. Um, yeah. For all the reasons you said, of course. <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, it's, um, like I said, it just when I, I go and watch like these, these extinct animal videos, I already mm-hmm. mentioned that way, I seen that one. I was like, it's, it's just crazy and surreal to see this thing kind of wandering around. It's the last of its kind. And you know, just like that, it's it's died out. It's 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 really like incredible when you imagine how large how large numbers of some of these species just kind of go away. Oh yeah, it's an adorable little thing. It's about the size of a coyote. I think I kind of missed saying that, but yeah, it's medium sized dog. I would say. Yeah, it's kind of adorable looking. Oh yeah, I like the stripes on the the little stripes on the back. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. It's got a pretty cool look for it. And then you hear Tasmania. I grew up on Looney Tunes, Tasmanian Devil, all oh, that yeah. stuff. So it's um, closest. I, I would want to say its closest living relative is the Tasmanian Devil. So you know, it makes sense, right? So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of why I put it on there because it's one of those first like first ones that I seen like again footage of, and it's a very distinct looking animal too. You're right. There's not too many that looked no, like it. No, no, no. So. Especially in Australia. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, of all places. So, yeah, that's my number nine. Okay, so my number eight is Bacillosaurus. It existed uh, 41.3 to 33.9 million years ago in the Eocene period. I, I want to say it's a period. Yeah, period. Um, in North America to North Africa, um, despite the saurus in the name, it's not actually a reptile. It's a, it's the first prehistoric whale known to science. And it's really, I put it on this list because it's, it has this very, these very interesting mix of characteristics that distinguish it from modern whales. Like, um, it didn't have as big of a brain as most like cetaceans, things like dolphins, whales, uh, narwhals, things like that. It didn't have as big of a brain as animals like that. So it probably didn't have the social pod swimming behavior that we see. Um, it had heterodont teeth, which means their teeth are different sizes. And in most whales, you either have teeth that are all one size, like uh, killer whales, or you have baleen uh, teeth, which are things like blue whales where they filter feed through their teeth. Right. So it's it has this very weird mix of ancestral characteristics. I think the most interesting part about it is that in the very it has a very long body. It could grow up to like fifty two feet long. It's high, it has these little tiny hind limbs and they're like about fourteen inches. They're not connected to any part of the skeleton. They're just kind of like floating in there. They have some muscle attachments, but they're all very limited size and like articulation. Um, it's just this kind of fascinating remnant of what it came from because if you go through cetacean evolution, you'll see kind of these horrifying, (laughs) horrifying like transitionary forms of it's, 
almost it's kind of like a dog where with a very long snout and just like these weird flippery hands and hind legs and it's like it's not it's kind of like a vestigial element but it's not vestigial because they kind of think that oh it has such a long body it could use these to like clasp on for mating purposes so it's just kind of an interesting like it's an interesting organism in the history of whale evolution. Right. That's that's why I put it on my list. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Whales are sweet. Whales are really cool. All right. Uh, here we go. Number eight could technically still be around today. Could technically. Might be the Loch Ness Monster. I don't know. <laughs> Plesiosaurus. Plesiosaurus. Yeah. Plesiosaurus uh, is is what I have. Of course, going back to the, uh, I'm not exactly sure which. Uh, uh, I want to say Jurassic for Plesiosaurus. Okay, let me. I should probably have this up. Plesiosaurus existed from like the Jurassic to the Cretaceous, but the the Plesiosaur we think of, I think, is like Jurassic. Okay. Yeah, first appearing in the late Triassic, um, and then pos- let's see, and they became they were common during the Jurassic. And then they disappear around the Cretaceous Paleogene. Okay. Yep. Uh, extinction event at the end of the Cretaceous, yep. six six million years ago. Uh, big Pokemon fan. Lapras. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. And I always thought Lapras was just this majestic beauty. Um, I'm not sure where exactly. You know, I'm not sure exactly what like you know bodies of water they they resided in. But I've I've always had a um, uh, an appreciation of a. Uh, I love water, and I love yeah. animal. The mystery of water, I like oh, yeah. the, just the, all concepts of water, and I like sea animals. Um, and I mean, how just how cool we be? Do, you know, we're walking around a lake or something, going for a walk, and just plesiosaurus oh, yeah. kind of doing their thing. Yeah, right. it, like the other weird thing about plesiosaurus is it it was a big animal, but it wasn't like super big. It was probably around I want to say seven feet long, right? But it's just like it's you think of them as like. I think most people think of Plesiosaurus as like a Mosasaurus, which is this gigantic, um, you know, carnivorous. Uh, is it the one that was in Jurassic World? That's the one that you know that eats the lady in Jurassic yes, World. Yes, yes, yes. That's the like one of the most like unjustified deaths. It's like <laughs> oh, she was kind of like a nuisance to the kids, so she gets picked up and like almost pulled apart by pterosaurs, and then she gets chomped by the mosasaurus like that's a little much <laughs> a little extra she was annoying but uh a little a little extra yeah but going back to the water thing my favorite kind of i guess biome i love wetlands because it's just this kind of you have such a diverse array of life there and it's so cool to see all the different things that come from there and that inhabit it. Like I, I love turtles. Turtles are my favorite. Oh yeah. Animal. So I love like yeah. uh, we got around here. That I think it's like Tift, the nature preserve. I haven't been. I, I need to go there. I you never been there? No. It's, you live it's, so close. I know. It's always on my list. It's like, <laughs> it's like I need to go there. It's really amazing. That one, and then the Alabama swamps are really cool. You got to go like early in the morning. You can kind of see everything just kind of doing its thing. What's the one in? Uh, it's near Amherst. It's the Great. Bears Swamp. I don't know. There's one up there, and then there's the one in Rheinstein uh, Forest in Chictawaga. Okay. It, it has wetlands areas. Yeah, like my most of my favorite animals come from wetlands. So yeah, I, I love uh, blue herons. Are probably my favorite. Oh, they're animal. so cool. Oh, I've seen birds. a couple of them by uh, 
Um, out here in Western New York, there's a little waterfall in the mid, like middle of Williamsville called uh, Glen, yeah, yeah, Glen Falls. Yeah. And if you follow the stream down way, there's a, oh, like, yeah. a little walking it's path. Great. You see them just there, and it's like, wow. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. I could just sit there and watch them. Yeah. Me too. Me too. It is really cool to kind of just graze and see them. But, uh, but yeah, Plesiosaurus, I, I just think it's really cool. Again, my, my, my reasoning for some of these extinct animals is like, you know, just pop culture, I guess, oh, yeah. references, ties. There's nothing wrong with that but, <laughs> at all. God, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I think it, it, it's, a, it's a really cool-shaped, you know, sea animal. And it, it potential is there for, for some limited maybe. But, again, it, it lives so – existence or evolutionary stage. Like they said, they, they think the Loch Ness Monster, if it is real, is a evolutionary stage of this somehow. Well, yeah, here's the thing. Um there are so many animals around today that have existed for millions of years, like turtles. Right. Uh, they've been around in the same general body plan for like 200 million years. Right. And then you have things like bacteria, which have been around for like three and a half billion years. And it's like, you know, possibility could be there, but it's just, you know... It's 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 very unlikely. Yeah. But, yeah, you think somebody would have seen one by now, you know, one of these... It might be a sturgeon. That's what that's one of the, like, possible explanations I've heard. But, yeah, you know, let's... You never know. You really don't. But, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, I had wanted to show uh, show off that one and talk about it, because it, it is a cool-shaped animal. Oh, yeah. Like, like yeah. I said, man, if you could put a saddle on one of those things <laughs> and ride it around, oh, my God. Anyways, that's my number eight. All right, my number seven is Triceratops. Uh, Late Cretaceous, 68 to 66 million years ago. There's not much to say about Triceratops. I mean, it's such an iconic-looking dinosaur, the the frill and the horns. And it's it's unique in that it's one of the most commonly found fossils in um, Montana and the Hell Creek Formation. So, like, they're... It's it's very easy to study. It's like life history, and you get to see, like, we have, you know, very young animals and, you know, adult animals. So we get to see how the frill and the horns develop through its life state, life cycle, and it's, it's really fascinating to see. And one of the kind of interesting things that I've read recently is that there isn't a whole lot of evidence for them being herd animals. Like, they usually find individual like organisms individual fossils you know by themselves not in these big like herds oh really that could be a you know the process of fossilization is very complex and it's very specific so if you get just one animal that's something anyways but it's more likely that they lived in like small groups like five to ten individuals which isn't nothing but it's not the like you know, the herds that they show in, like, Jurassic Park or things like that. Yeah. I just thought that was kind of an interesting, like, little development because with dinosaurs or any kind of pre-human history, you know, prehistory, prehistoric animal, um, you're never n- going to know everything just because of we're dealing with traces and bones and things you can't, observe the behavior you can only kind of speculate based on what it was what's closely related to and the kind of size the eat like the dentition because you can kind of determine like eating habits and things like that from that so you're never going to know everything but 
that's why you can't be too hard on the Jurassic Park movies. No, you really can't. It, it, everybody loves to pick them apart and stuff, and it's like you don't. That, that's you know. not the point of the Jurassic Park movies, right? Oh, they're wonderful. I, I love those films. Yeah. Love those films. All right, uh, my number seven is the Smilodon or a Tooth Guy. Smilodon. I think that works. Um, Power Rangers guy. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> and, yeah, I get it. I get it. Power Rangers, that's why I got excited when you said Triceratops. But, um, I mean, I grew up with this this, this fear, le- like legit fear of saber-toothed tigers, cats, whatever you want to yeah. um, You know, uh, just the fang, you know, the, t- the, the teeth on the side, it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. I've, like, at any point in prehistory, you're going to find something that horrifies you. The, like, those were, like... Yeah, prehistory ice age like esque, you know, time period. The, the megafauna like of the ice age. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like just and like what a like I mean from their standpoint, from a saber tooth tiger you know, standpoint, what a great predatory like uh kind of adaptation. Ad, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's kinda of crazy that it went away. It never it, it you know, they kinda of deal you don't see anything like that now. But like again, like how how useful of a of a tool, those long oh, yeah. things were. You know, I used to read books about how they just jump on animals' backs and and claw with that, and then that's how they mm-hmm. get their kill and oh yeah, and go from there. But uh, but yeah, that was one of the ones like I, I just grew up with being aware of. Of course, the movie Ice Age helped out. Um, what was his name? Diego. 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 They called him. Uh, uh, what's it? Uh, Dennis Leary. <laughs> yes, Dennis Leary was the voice of it. And uh, yeah, I just kind of always grew up, and it was just around that one. So. Um, so yeah, pretty cool cat. <laughs> literally, yeah, literally, <laughs> cool literally. Uh, you know, I like the again the anatomy of it, and uh, right. I mean, it's an ice age type. They last longer than the ice age. Do you know? They pretty much went out around. No, that type um, not like so. There's one megafauna animal of the ice age I know probably last. It, it was last known to existed like five thousand years ago. That's woolly mammoth. Right. And that was an isolated population. Like, they went extinct on the mainland well before that. But, like, in near Russia or Siberia, there was an isolated population of mammoths, and they went extinct around 5,000 years ago, which is pretty insane to think about because— 5,000 years ago is not that long ago. Human, yeah, and, human civilization was going at that point in, like, parts of the world. So yeah. It's so weird to think about. No, it certainly is. So, yeah, saber-toothed tiger, that is my number— Seven? Seven, yeah. Seven, yes, sir. All right. Uh, so my number six is Deinonychus. Uh, Deinonychus is, when you think of a Velociraptor, Deinonychus is what a Velociraptor is because um, Velocirap- the, the actual animal Velociraptor was about the size of a turkey, which isn't nothing because it could still probably kill you. But uh, <laughs> Deinonychus uh, was probably, it grew from... Snout to tail, eleven feet long. It was probably this like height wise, like a gray wolf. And you might think, well, gray wolf's not very big. If you've ever seen a gray wolf, gray wolves are big animals. Yeah, They're, it's not like a dog. But um, I put it Cretaceous period, like one hundred fifteen million to one hundred eight million years ago. Um, but I put it on here because it it changed the way scientists look at dinosaurs. Um, because before that we had this conception of dinosaurs as these big sluggish, not very active animals. And it's like, 
with Deinonychus, it was a clearly like active and agile predator. And it made us rethink of, well, could these be warm-blooded animals? And it, the tech, For people at home, technical term for warm-blooded is uh, endothermy. Right. <laughs> uh, and, or like the prior conception was that their ectotherms are cold-blooded. Um, and we still really don't know. Um, just based on, well, with Deinonychus, it's possible that could have been... Um, warm-blooded just because of how closely related it is to birds and it did have feathers but the feathers didn't they were kind of they weren't flight feathers obviously they're kind of like proto feathers so it probably acted as an insulation and it's still one of the cool things about Deinonychus also is the killing claw it was about five inches long and that's where it gets his name uh, Deinonychus is Greek for terrible claw. Okay, I believe. Yeah, and uh, contrary okay. to popular belief, here's another like scientists ruining your childhood thing. Um, they probably didn't hunt in packs. Oh, uh, based on um, damn you, Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> just, just so like, based on kind of recent findings of comparing juvenile individuals to adult individuals, they had different diets based on, like, uh, isotopes in their teeth, like, you can kind of determine what they're feeding on. Huh. Um, and they're feeding on very different things, which isn't typical for pack hunters because pack hunters would probably all just feed on the same food source. Uh, it's more like a Komodo dragon where the juvenile individuals will be feeding on different food sources because adult individuals could possibly kill and eat their young. Right. <laughs> and um, if they did hunt together... It was probably, again, like a Komodo dragon where it's like an individual brings down an animal and then the others come in to scavenge. And there's kind of a hierarchy based on that. Okay. That's really neat. That's really, I mean, yeah, Jurassic Park, did you believe that they are the pack hunters? Even still to this day, we're, Jurassic World had you, had you believe that they were pack hunters. Like I said, we're always learning new things. Yeah. This is just like a hypothesis based on some evidence. I mean, we don't have as much but again we're never going to be able to you know experience these things in real life as you know their behaviors and stuff so we can only kind of speculate based on the 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 trace evidence that we're given right okay that's really cool what's your again i mean it's kind of been what's your like favorite kind of like animal species or or like uh to kind of like explore and learn about oh i love turtles turtles yeah the, the um there's my number one is a very interesting animal that has, I don't want to give too much away, but it's very closely related to turtles. So okay, um, it kind of sheds light on how turtles evolved. So it's a little sneak peek there. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. All right. Uh, my number six, I believe this is how you pronounce it, the Baiji dolphin. Is that like the, from Yellow River in China? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's got a really long snout. I think dolphins are just adorable yeah, creatures. Yeah. Yes, it is. It, gets, it has a really long snout. And, uh, you know, it, it had been in existence for quite a long time. It went it, extinct recently, if I'm not Yes, uh, I think it, in the 50s, 60s, something like that. Once China got really industrialized. Yeah. They were very, um, I don't want to say isolate. They kind of, well, I think Japan more so than China, but... Um, <laughs> What? Okay, so with China, 
uh, that was around the time of the Cultural Revolution and um, the, like you said, increased industrialization. China was a very um, agricultural heavy uh, country um, pre communist revolution right i guess um and uh very peasant based lifestyle so um when you have that kind of lifestyle it's not going to interfere as much with the environment um and prior to that china was being constantly invaded and tried to attempts at colonization from Japan. <laughs> like, you, you probably know about, like, uh, I, yeah, Nanking. Well, no, Nanking was in... Well, I was, that was around the 30s. But prior to that, you have things like the Sino-Russo-Japanese yes, War yes. around Manchuria. It, like, Japan was constantly harassing them, so... Yeah, J- Japanese were dicks. And then I turned the Chinese into dicks. <laughs> Japanese were dicks because we were dicks. That's like, technically true. So, that is technically true. Uh, gunboat diplomacy and the Meiji Restoration um, really introduced American imperialism to the Japanese. Like, oh, this is a good idea. This is a good idea. We, we, a lot of times, if you study history, America creates its own problems. It usually does. No, it's, yeah, it, it usually does. It usually does. Um, that's a whole topic for Yeah, sorry, sorry for the No, tangent. that's okay, but it's true. Um, but, I mean, it all kind of goes hand in hand. It was, yeah, it, it kind of went it, it went away. They were just, you know, kind of destroying the, the 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 river. Again, they were... They were it was a period of very rapid industrialization. Like Which it, usually involves some kind of, uh, what do they call it? Um... I guess just just destruction of resources. I guess. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You'll be leveling things pollution, for pollution. factories. Yeah. Like it's a similar story in uh, pre-revolutionary Russia. Tsarist Russia was a very pastoral, peasant-based, feudal uh, country, and post-revolution they rapidly industrialized. And yeah, it's a very similar story. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Uh, I, the last known living one died in 2002, actually. So they were well populated in the 60s, 70s and stuff. But the, yeah, the last known one died in 2002. And, but in 2007, a, uh, a Chinese citizen actually reported uh, – they videotaped a large white animal swimming in the, in the, in the river. Hmm. And uh, they think that it could be it. But again, you know, it's, it's so few that the species is probably done for, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean – Recently, we declared around twenty species of animals extinct. Like a couple I just, days ago, I just like the that, ivory-billed yeah. woodpecker, yeah, was one of them, and that's a very distinct-looking animal and had a very distinct habitat, and that's probably one of the reasons why it went extinct because it was around like Florida Panhandle, and Florida is within the past fifty, sixty years has been developed. Very rapidly. And it was all swamplands for the long time. Yeah, you're a big Disney guy. I am, you, yes, you know, sir. You know about Disney World? Oh, I do. Yeah, they and, uh, yeah, they just started buying huge plots of land and, um, I mean, just eradicating that eco- those ecosystems. Yeah, it's a, I mean, with any kind of human development, it's a cost-benefit analysis, but, um, yeah, I don't know about Disney World, but 
yeah, let's not get too far no. into it. Yeah. Again, we can we can go on a long yeah. read about that too. So, all right. So yeah, number six is the Baiji dolphin. Uh, my number five is an animal called Tiktaalik. Uh It is from thirty-seven, three hundred seventy-five million years ago. Uh, it was discovered in the Arctic Circle in northern Canada, which is really weird because. Oh, that's kind of cool looking. Yeah, Tiktaalik was. Um, air quotes here, the first fish to venture onto land. Um, it lived about 12 million years before the first true, like, tetrapod, which is a four-limbed vertebrate. Um, any kind of, like, reptiles, amphibians, birds, uh, mammals were all tetrapods. Um, it's significant because it's the earliest appearance of these features, like, of... Um, so it had a mix of fish and tetrapod features where it's like it had scales and it had gill ridges and it had fins, but the fins were very distinct because um, Tiktaalik was a lobed fin fish as opposed to a ray fin fish. Um, a ray fin fish is a fish that has like very fine, delicate bones in its fins. So it's most, when you think of a fish, that's what a fin on a regular fish is. Right. Um, Tiktaalik was a lobed fin fish, which means it's the bones and its fins were very stout and pronounced. Um, thing I can think of most as a lobed fin fish is like a lungfish or a coelacanth. Um, but these these fins, they were able to support itself in like shallow waters, and it was adapted for shore life like it had a very dis like opposed to fish which don't have a distinct neck <laughs> um tiktaalik had a functional neck and it's and it was kind of had a head like a head like just, a head and body like a crocodile yeah and so it had a very similar lifestyle of shore living it couldn't really venture on the land it could probably only support itself on the bottom of the shore kind of like um are you familiar with a mud skipper? Yes, yes. Kind of like a mud skipper. Okay. But it's a very important fossil in understanding vertebrate evolution. That's why I put it at my number five. That's a cool one. Well, yes, yeah, stout bony. So its fins, you should actually be able to prop up its weight? Yeah, like, like they're very stout, bony fins. Um, if you're following along at home, you can probably Google the... <laughs> Um, the fossil for Tiktaalik where it shows the fin bones. Um, but yeah, like it had a pretty strong, um, you know, pectoral girdle for it to be able to hold itself up, That's but pretty... it probably couldn't, it's pelvic fins, probably not as much. Okay. So that's probably why it couldn't totally venture onto land, but it had kind of like a shore lifestyle where it could like prop itself up and kind of peek over. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah, it gives a little bit of range. Go get some air. Yeah. Get some sand. Um, very cool. I like that. All right, number five for myself is where I'm going to put the woolly mammoth. Um, yeah. Again, another Ice Age animal that, uh, you know, it's just propped up. It, it's it, when you when you hear Ice Age, you think of, I think, usually two animals. It's, it's, it's the saber-toothed tiger yeah. and then the, the woolly yep. mammoth. Oh, yeah. Typically. And... Uh, I mean, it was just cool. It was a furry elephant. 
And you know they they've dug up so many, right? Didn't they have they found several like very well preserved ones. Oh yeah, over the, the last perm- 20, well, 30 years <laughs> because the permafrost is melting. Uh, yeah. yeah, we can. The permafrost is very good at preserving tissue, and uh, when you have very well preserved tissue, that's not like um, undergoing as undergone the process of fossilization. You can extract soft tissue from that, right. which means you can extract potentially extract DNA from that, but. DNA is finicky. It breaks. It doesn't like the oldest known DNA that we've been able to extract is only a million years old. Still a long time, but um, it's not like you know. In Jurassic, I'm sorry to poop on Jurassic Park again, but in Jurassic Park, where they take the amber and they you know extract the blood cells from the mosquitoes, and I don't think. I can't remember how old, like the oldest amber we found, but I don't think it's around um, 65 million years or prior. But regardless, DNA is very, it breaks down fast. And it's very special that we're able to extract, like, even if it's just fragments of DNA from these animals. So... Very, yeah, that's interesting, right? They, they are talking about bringing them back, trying yeah. to bring them back, which is wild to me. Yeah, to make well, to make an animal, air quotes, make an animal, <laughs> um, you need to have that full genome. And I don't know if we've been able to extract a full genome, but you could, in theory, or yeah, in theory, you could engineer a elephant to have traits of a woolly mammoth because those traits are probably still present. It's just that during development, different things happen. So what distinct, like the coat of a woolly mammoth, um, elephants have fur because they're mammals, but, um, there's probably a point in development where when a woolly mammoth develops its coat, an elephant doesn't. I'm talking like embryological development. Okay. So if you kind of futz with the embryo or futz with an, uh, an elephant's genome, you could make uh, a woolly mammoth. But I think we're we're uncovering more DNA from these um, very well-preserved specimens. So you probably be able to gestate you could like take a like an egg cell from uh an asian elephant which is like the closest living relative to a woolly mammoth uh, and you could probably insert the nucleus if you had like a complete nucleus let's just say we have one of a woolly mammoth you can insert that into the egg cell and implant it into a living female asian elephant and it could gestate that embryo for you, and that's how you could probably produce that animal. <laughs> Science is amazing. Because, like, um, in, holy Christ! <laughs> in, in, in Jurassic Park, they mention something where it's like, "Well, how do you, how do you gestate these animals?" And I think they say something like, "We use ostrich eggs." That kind of makes sense, but similar principle, <laughs> right? That's so cool. Yeah, uh, you made it shoot. I, I've been blown away by a lot of inventions and all that jazz, but 
Man, if I ever get to see a woolly mammoth in person, I might be getting again. I might be getting things wrong, but still, that's the gist yeah. of it. No, that's pretty cool though. And like, so, do you know the difference between a mastodon and a mammoth? I actually, is it the horns? Uh, the the front it's horns? The teeth. It's the teeth. So like, okay. um, woolly mammoths have these flat um, incisors that were for grazing in grasslands. Okay, and. Uh, mastodons have very conical shaped uh, molars and incisors that were good for like browsing brush and trees and stuff. This is a neat little fact. No, I I, I I actually never knew. I was like, wow, these both look very similar. Yeah, so. yeah, because like I know in in Power Rangers, <laughs> Zach would say Mastodon Power when yeah. it was a woolly mammoth, and it's like, yeah, those are two different animals. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Power Rangers! Power Rangers and Steven Spielberg are on my crap list right now. It, uh, it's all for fun. <laughs> no, it is. Yeah. It is. Uh, all right, number four. Uh, my number four is Archaeopteryx. Um, it existed in the late Jurassic, around 150 to 148 million years ago. Uh, it's for a long time. It was considered the first bird. Um, Archaeopteryx has a mix of character traits between uh, Manoraptors, which are, you know, uh, things like Velociraptor, Deinonychus. Uh, it has teeth, um, a flat sternum, a long bony tail. It has those killing claws. It has the three fingers, but also was feathered. And it could probably, it might have been able to fly, but... It was probably the earliest earliest flying dinosaur, even if it wasn't the earliest bird. Um, it wasn't able to like fly like we think of birds as flying. Um, it probably was able to fly in like short bursts, like a chicken or a pheasant. Or one of the reasons why we think that is because, as opposed to flying birds, which have like so their sternum kind of coalesces into this keel where the muscles attached for that allowed for powered flight. Uh, Archaeopteryx didn't have that. So um, we kind of think that its ability to fly was like it was running and it was able to flap its wings a little bit to get that little extra boost and do like a little short distance. I see. Or it was like a wing-assisted incline run where it would kind of run up an incline and kind of flap its its arms wings lack of a better term to help it get up like a substrate like a rock or a tree or something like that to escape predation or to like chase something um there really isn't one thing to point to (laughs) it's evolution as a branching process it's not linear so these are all hypothetical explanations but they're hypothetical explanations that are grounded within Good science. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, evolution more so. I I like to hear the evolution part. I don't like to hear about the human part. I could do, like, I could probably do a whole podcast on evolutionary terms and, like, trying to explain all that. You should start a biological one. I I know a guy who (laughs) runs a uh, podcast studio, and I'm sure he'd be happy to help you. Oh, I know. (laughs) I'm sure. But that that's my number four. Archaeopteryx is just a very it, again. There's a pattern here. It's a very significant animal fossil. Um, 
within the history of, evolu- of evolution. Um, it was discovered in 1861. Uh, Orig- on the Origin of Species was published around the same time. It's you know very good luck for Darwin. Uh, I one of the fun facts is that I like the. It was discovered in Germany, so its German name is uh, Urvogel, which is origin bird. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. All right. Very fun. cool. Very cool. Um, all right. My next one. Another dinosaur. Another dinosaur. Uh, we're looking at the Brachiosaurus. Uh, man, how... Again, another thing that is just like, because I'm a photography guy too, and I'm just trying to pick like a lot of these. I'm just, I just like, how cool would it be? Oh yeah, to 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 go somewhere and see one of these majestic creatures and get a photograph of it. Sixty, I think, sixty feet tall, roughly uh, sixty-nine. Yeah, excuse me, fifty-nine yeah. and sixty-nine feet tall. Brachiosaurus is a kind of a wide term, but yeah, they could grow very tall. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a genus. Uh, sauropods. Um, yeah, sauropods are things like Diplodocus, Apatosaurus, um, Brachiosaurus. So, like Brachiosaurus, when we think of Brachiosaurus, there's an animal called Giraffe Titan. Okay, and that's usually the thing that we kind of picture as. This is a bra- like a Jurassic Park Brachiosaurus. That's a Giraffe Titan, probably. Okay, but regardless, yeah, it's just yeah. I mean, between the weight and stuff, like. One of my uh, another Jurassic Park reference. One of my favorite scenes is it's bound to happen. Uh, it was it was bound to happen when they pulled up and they turned uh, Alan Grant's head. Oh yeah, and he's like he stood up. He's taking the glasses off. Yeah. He's shaking. He's just like, wow. Yeah, and it's like it's it's really cool. Of course, they probably don't look a hundred percent accurate, but again, I, the I concept we, and theory yeah, is there. We've covered it. It's yeah. not the point of Jurassic Park exactly, but um, but the concept and idea of of Kind of just be able to see something like that. There's no creatures really, no, that massive. I mean, whales, not uh, not it, not, not, not terrestrial, land. like, but yeah, not on land. I mean, you get giraffes, Af- Afri- but, yeah, those... giraffes, African elephants are probably the biggest you're gonna get. But... Right, yeah, but yeah, not not on land. So, so a fun fact about uh, sauropods in general, they get very big, um, and that can present problems for terrestrial animals because. Uh, the bigger you are, the more mass you have to move around right? and the more gravity affects you. So we found in sauropods that it's vertebral column, you know, the part that'd be moving around the most, uh, the vertebrae are pneumatic. And what that means is that they are hollow and that cuts down on the weight that the animal has to move around. It can, has a lower like the bones are still, you know, they still they're still strong, but they're of a lower weight, and that means that there's less to move around because there's this whole thing called the square cube law, where if when the area, like you take the cross sectional area of something, if that increases, its volume increases at a higher rate. So it's like you're trying to chase. Um, you'll be what this leads up to is that you could possibly be crushed because your volume and mass, therefore your mass increases faster than your cross-sectional area. So okay. the strength can't, the strength of the cross-sectional area can't keep up. But if you have these pneumatic bones, that kind of circumvents that problem for you. And a lot of dinosaurs did have these pneumatic bones, like 
Tyrannosaurus Rex had pneumatic bones, and that's probably why it could grow so big. Um, birds have pneumatic bones. That's when we say birds have hollow bones. That's what we mean. Okay. Um, humans even have are partially pneumatic. Um, your sinuses are pneumatic bones, but it's not like in terms of what we see in dinosaurs. Right. Yeah. Those are more support. That's interesting. So it's pretty much set up for failure. Right, I mean, I guess that's what kind of what it sounds like. No, no, no. It, these pneumatic bones are actually an adaptation that allow for it to grow to such sizes because okay. you're you're lowering the weight, but you're not sacrificing strength. Okay, if that makes now sense. now I I think I'm getting it. Okay, yeah. Okay, very cool. Yeah, I, it's just amazing that this. I mean, it, what do they say? Like sixty-four tons. These things can weigh up to giant. Yeah, it's like it's. I cannot even fathom <laughs> that. It's 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 unbelievable. So I think there's probably the closest museum that has a pretty big like. I think I see one in Cleveland. In uh, Chicago, the Field Museum, they have a like saur a giant sauropod you can kind of model. You can stand under and walk under. And touch and stuff because you know it's not like an actual fossil. But right. like, if you go to Chicago to the Field Museum, that's where you can also see Tiktaalik, and you can also see uh, Sue the T Rex, and that's the most complete Tyrannosaurus fossil we have. That's in Chicago. Yeah. Okay. That's one of the places I've always wanted to go. So. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So that's my number four. My number three. Speaking of, is Tyrannosaurus Rex. Ah, uh, I still got mine on there too. Uh. Late Cretaceous, 68, 66 million years ago. Uh, It was the largest carnivore during its period in time, during those, you know, two million years. Um, I think it's just so iconic in that it's hard to ignore. Like, there were a lot of times where it's like, oh, Tyrannosaurus is overrated. Who has that thought? But when you kind of look at it, it's like, no, this is a really interesting animal because... If you've ever looked at a Tyrannosaurus Rex skull straight on, they have binocular vision. Okay. And as opposed to being, like, set to the side like you see in other dinosaurs. Yeah. So let's poop on Jurassic Park again. <laughs> <laughs> when when Dr. Grant says, if you stand completely still, they can't see you. Um, I'm holding my hand in front of my face. I have binocular vision. It's completely still. I can still see my hand in front of my face. <laughs> But its binocular vision means it was a very great predator. Um, I think the, mo- the most interesting part about Tyrannosaurus for me is, like, its giant head because its jaws could exert f- 50,000 newtons of force, and that's enough to, like, crush and pulverize bone. Um, because it had such a large head, because Tyrannosaurus evolved such a large head, that's where you see... That's why it's kind of one of the reasons why they have these small, tiny arms, because you really don't need them. And they kind of get in the way for theropods, because the way theropods run is different from the way we run, because when we run, we swing our arms side to side. But theropods, they hold them kind of close to their body, almost like an ostrich would. Um, But the reason why they stuck around really isn't known it could have been like these the claws were still gigantic like they were a fourth of the size of the forelimb <laughs> um 
So we probably think they were used for either mating because uh, contrary to popular belief of, you know how when you see people pretending to be like velociraptors, tyrannosaurus rex, they oh, hold they their... Yeah, they do that. They yep. do like the limp wrist. Um, for theropods, it was actually palms facing each other. So they, that means they were able... They, they had, could grab some things. They, yeah, they had strong like adduction, and that's when you move your hand or move you know hands inward like that. So it was probably either for like grasping during mating because they're big animals. Um, it could have been used for grasping prey when, you know, killing its prey because there's like a hypothesized reason as to how or hypothesize like an explanation as to why or how they killed like triceratops is that like they would grab on they would like get behind the frill and like decapitate them <laughs> like they like they I can't remember what museum it's in but they in their restoration model they they depicted that um, or it could just be like a byproduct of evolutionary change. It just doesn't have a purpose or advantage. It's kind of like a neutral thing. Like the head gets bigger, but the arms just kind of like stay the same. Right. Yeah, they're they're very widely made fun of for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, in meme culture, everyone's like, oh, have you ever it seen could a T-Rex doing a push-up? Oh, for <laughs> yeah. sure. For sure. They're the only reason why people are talking crap about it is because they don't exist anymore. And it's like it could, it could like – we keep making estimates on to, like how fast it can move. Lowest are probably around 17 miles per hour. That's faster than you. <laughs> oh, 100%. Like we think of them as charging, but still like 17 miles per hour. That's even if that's like a walk for it, it's still very fast. <laughs> All right, very good. Yeah, I definitely uh, it's it's definitely on my list. My number 3 is the dodo bird. Yeah. Pop culture 500 years ago, I think is when they went extinct. Yeah. Uh, the first recorded sighting of it was, it was about 1598, and they were gone. But uh, the last widely accepted sighting was 1662. Was it Mauritius Sh- Islands? I can't think uh, of the name. Mauritius. Mauritius. Mauritius yeah. or something like that, yeah. Dutch colonizers, I believe. Yeah, yeah. That's what, a lot of uh, sailors, uh, that's kind of when they first started seeing them. Good but. food source because Dodo Bird didn't have any natural occurring predators. So when Oh, you, no? No, when you had... So the conception of the dodo bird is this dumb, stupid animal. Right. I've seen that in, like again, Looney Tunes com- yeah. cartoons and all sorts of stuff. Not a very bright animal, yeah. It's very wrong because – so dodos are from an island, and when you're on an island, um, things get weird because let, – let's take the most famous example, the Galapagos. You'll have – like – when you're on an island, you're isolated, so you can organisms can diversify in very unique ways. And if there's not like a predator to the dodo, there's no food chain. There's no like ability for it to kind of recognize predation and evolve it's no, in a sense. Or? Well, no, it's it has evolved. In oh, an environment, I, see, I see where we are going. Is evolved in an environment without predation, so it's not going to be able to recognize predation, like. So when humans are coming after it with whatever they're just, yeah. they're just like, oh, cool, hey, take There's me. not really um, an instinct to run away. It's kind of like there's an animal, it's a marsupial in Australia called the quokka. Okay. It's these very tiny, cute little, they, 
they're the if you I can only describe them as the marsupials that people take selfies with and they look like they're smiling there. <laughs> and because they like they just walk up to people and apparently they kind of just like throw their babies at them. Oh. Sometimes too. So I, that might be like an adaptation to like get away. <laughs> but I don't know. But it's a very similar situation to the quokka where the quokka doesn't really have predators. Okay. So, yeah, so they they were kind of just run, I mean, run out. You said they were a good source of food though. Well, yeah, that's probably why they're hunted to extinction because um, going back to the Galapagos, what they would do – well, Galapagos is different. It's kind of a different case. But the Galapagos, when they would make their journeys, they would bring on tortoises um, as food sources because they could go for a very long time without feeding them or watering them, and they'd last a voyage, and they could just you know kill them and eat them. And it's a lot – it's a big animal, but, you know – for the dodo bird in the, you know, maritime world of uh, 17th century of the 17th century, you're going to make stops along the way. And that Island, you can just stop on that Island and just pluck a bunch of dodos up for food. And you're good to go. You're good to go. Right. Okay. That, uh, that makes sense. I always, I don't know why I thought they last a lot longer. Like, it, no, it's just a little bit longer. It's but. that's still like within human history. No, know? that's true. Yeah. It's just like for it to be such like a pop culture kind of thing, you know. To, to you know, you think of maybe like the early 1900s. I, I, that's what I was initially thinking. Yeah, uh, no, yeah. So, all right, on to uh, your number two. My number two. This is my favorite dinosaur. It's the Spinosaurus. Mm-hmm. Um. Spinosaurus existed around Lake Cretaceous, so like 99 to 93 and a half million years ago. Um, this was the largest theropod to known known to have exist um, existed. It was 49 to 52 feet long. And the thing that I love the most about the Spinosaurus isn't that it was like the biggest, but it's like it has a very unique semi-aquatic lifestyle. It's like one of the few semi-aquatic theropods that we know of. And it's like, it goes back to my love of wetlands. It's a very wetland adapted animal. Like it's, it's basically if you take a blue heron and just make it big (laughs) because it has very similar adaptations. Like it has a very long, narrow snout and its nostrils are closer to its eye sockets than down on the end of its snout. Right. So when you're kind of like wading and fishing in the water, your nostrils don't get submerged. Um, it had like very dense bones, so it was better buoyancy control. It had this very long paddle like tail. Um and the tail was like used not only for, you know, ruddering, but probably could have been used for um corralling fish and like there's a shark called a thresher shark where it will slap the water to hurt or stun fish before eating them. Okay. So it might have done that, but it was it's Spinosaurus, it's basically a crocodile that can could be bipedal and has that big the big sail is another thing I love because we're never gonna know how that developed or why it developed, but we can, you know, hypothesize as to why. Um it could have been used for like thermoregulation, like when you have that big surface area, you can collect more sun and stuff like that. Um it might have just been like a display for mating and stuff. And, you know, it might've been brought about through sexual selection. Like, 
Uh, think of a peacock and a peafowl. Like a peacock, right. very big, colorful uh, peafowl, very brown, um, you know, not exciting colors. That's because <laughs> the peafowl selected the display and the color in the peacock, the Dalton Castles. <laughs> I got you. So, so do you think, I mean, based on, like, was that a, a, a more accurate, think, description in, in Jurassic Park, that, that Spinosaurus, its ability to swim and, and walk? and Well, so we've learned a lot. Like, a lot of the stuff we know about Spinosaurus now, we learned in 2014, I want to say. Okay. Like, the more complete picture of Spinosaurus that we have now was formed more in 2014. But, yeah, like, I was still... Yeah, you still had that like they attacked during the water, but they weren't they weren't like contemporary to Tyrannosaurus and they occupied very different niches. Like Spinosaurus obviously was a you know, it was a piscivore, it preyed on fish. Um and it also existed like thirty million years before. But that's besides the point. But it's yeah, it's interesting to see like these speculative. If these ex- animals existed contemporaneously, how would that work out? But okay, yeah. I gotcha, I gotcha. It's a big heron. That's the way I can describe it. <laughs> All right, very good. My number two is the last of my aquatic uh, selections, which probably obviously leaves my number one. But uh, grew up big shark guy. Megalodon? Yes, sir. Yep. Megalodon. Uh huge, huge shark guy. And like I was just amazed. I thought, you know, you know, the great white sharks were these like mm-hmm. uh, just amazing. And I've seen I've seen I believe I've seen some in, in aquariums. Um, I, don't, I don't think we have great like I don't think great whites are in aquariums, yeah, but probably, probably like right. tiger sharks yeah, or something smaller. Something a little bit smaller, yeah. I think. But yeah, great white I mean Again, you grow up in you know watching Jaws and yeah and and all that all that good stuff. Um, you know when it comes to the, the great way, you think it's like wow, this is the biggest it gets, and it's <laughs> nope. not even remotely close. Uh, the megalodon recently was a, a, a feature of a the movie, Meg. the Meg. I and, didn't see it. Huh? I didn't see. I it. didn't see it either. I seen the preview though, and obviously they they blew it up way out of proportion. Mm. I think from a size, right? You think possibly a movie sure, Hollywood? It, but it's a. I mean, it's a movie, it's... right? No, for sure. But it was massive. It, no, it, no it, definitely. Yeah, it was definitely like it, one of the biggest sharks. And again, I think uh, like like we talked about with the gigantic turtle, with uh, we know with some other gigantic creatures back in the day. It was just a, it was just a competition. Um, this kind of thing, just the the amount of food you had to you know intake. Assume, yeah. Um, they say that the reason why it went extinct is because it was in competition for food with with whales that were just kind of ballooning in size. Yeah, because like I said, um, I don't know when megalodon existed, but it might have been contemporary to the Basilosaurus. Twenty three like to three point six million years, and the early Miocene to the Pliocene. That was how many years ago? Million years. Twenty three to three point six million. Yeah, that was after the Basilosaurus, but definitely whales were coming, like, whales were growing in size by then. Like, that's that's around the time you see the divergence between uh, toothed whales and baleen toothed whales, right. like the filter feeders and the non-filter feeders. So, I can see that. I mean, the biggest whales that we know of are, I believe, are 
baleen whales, like filter, yes. like blue whale. The blue whale is a filter feeder. That's what it says here. Reduction in the diversity of baleen whales and a shift in their distribution towards polar regions may have reduced Megalodon's primary food source. The shark's extinction coincides with the giganticism trend in baleen whales. Yeah. So, um, well, yeah. If you think about what baleen whales do, they they take it like you don't have to eat and prey upon actively prey upon as much food as you do when you're megalodon right with a baling whale you just suck in all this water and there's just a ton of phytoplankton and all these other microbes and stuff and you're just getting all this these calories in just by sucking in water so it's a great adaptation to grow big no for sure yeah this thing was i mean crazy huge right 47 to 67 feet long um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, average length of ten and a half meters, thirty-four feet. Uh, their jaws could exert a bite force up to one hundred eight thousand five hundred to one hundred eighty-two um, thousand newtons. That's more than Tyrannosaurus. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. It's y- scary. I, I could never terrifying. Yeah, like <laughs> when you think of being out in the ocean with a great white, it's like that's still a frightening prospect, but think of all these like like a Mosasaurus or a Megalodon existing in the water with you at the same time. Yeah. There's no way to, to You're down there in a cage you're down there in a cage or something and this giant whale sized shark is coming oh, oh yeah God, it's terrifying. Terrifying, terrifying. But yeah, that's my uh that is that is my number two. All right. So my number one is an animal called Odonto Kelly's. Uh, Odonto Kelly's is from the late Triassic, so around 22, or 220 million years ago, sorry. Um, This animal is like the oldest undisputed uh, stem turtle. And stem turtles are organisms that exhibited features found in turtles, but they weren't exactly turtles. So... Odonto Kelly's had, as opposed to having a beak like a turtle, okay, it had teeth. That's what um, Odonto Kelly's means. It means tooth turtle. Okay, um, it lacked the upper carapace, but it had broadened ribs. The broadened rib cage that constitutes the carapace of modern turtles, but didn't have like the hardened uh, scutes and stuff, uh, dermal elements that modern turtles do. But it had the hard, bony plastron on the underneath. Uh, And this is significant because in modern turtles, when we look at them through, like, an embryological standpoint, the plastron forms first before the carapace in the embryo. So that led scientists to hypothesize, well, then evolutionarily the plastron might have developed before the carapace. And for a long time, we couldn't confirm or deny that because Odonto Kelly's was only discovered in 2011 or so. Okay. And it kind of confirmed that hypothesis of the plastral element forming first because even if you go back to older stem turtles they don't have a bony carapace or a bony plastron. They just have, like, the broadened ribs and stuff. Like, the earliest known one is a Unitosaurus, and it was this 
kind of like lizard-like looking animal that had a broadened rib cage, but wasn't an aquatic animal. Like the ribs served at these broad ribs served as anchors for powerful muscles for burrowing. So at some point, turtles adapt, these stem turtles adapted for an aquatic lifestyle. And that's where the plastron comes in because if you're in an aquatic, like an open aquatic environment, your, your underside is very vulnerable to, you know, bigger animals or uh, predators coming up and snatching you. And we see this in animals like uh, stickleback fish. The marine stickleback fish will have these long pelvic spines jutting out from its underside, while the freshwater stickleback fish will have like reduced pelvic spines because the depths in the waters aren't as extreme. And you don't have that chance of coming up and grabbing you from underside so oh interesting like odonto kelly's is just this it's very special to me because like i said turtles are my favorite animal and that's probably the reason why i became a bio major was like i wanted to find out more about how the turtle shell came about because when it's very interesting when you think about the turtle shell turtle shell is its rib cage it's the vertebrae are fused the ribs are broadened, and even weirder is that when you think about humans in our rib cage, our um, pectoral and pelvic girdle, so like your your pelvis and like your scapula and all that stuff, yeah, it's outside of your rib cage. With turtles, those elements are within the rib cage. Okay. So like <laughs> to think about being a turtle, it's like your rib cage is over top of your pelvis and your arms so it's like you have that reduced mobility but you know you gain this protective feature even though it didn't start out the evolution of the turtle shell didn't start out as a protective feature like it started out with unitosaurus with the broadened ribs to act as anchor points for muscles and uh, burrowing muscles so what i guess what i'm trying to say is that Evolution, again, is not a linear process. It's a branching process. And when you evolve, or when you evolve like a novel feature, it's not always going to be what it originally evolved for. Or its origin point is not going to be what it originally evolved for, I guess what you can say. Because like the, the bones of your inner ear, the malus, incus, and stapes, those originally started as um, jawbone elements in lower, like, reptiles and um, other animals called snapsids. Okay. Um, they separated in mammals and stuff, and that's why we have um, these three inner ear bones in mammals, but you don't really see them in reptiles or amphibians. <clears throat> so it's all very... Evolution is probably, the for me, it's the most interesting aspect of life on this planet. No, it really is amazing. It is amazing. The list that we've gone through, it's like you can see traces of what these animals were in, in, there, in a the, lot of modern. Every, every animal you look at, every life form you look at on this planet, you share something in common with them. Yeah. And like on the most basic level, the fact that all living organisms 
use DNA as their, you know, genetic code, that's kind of astounding because that means you're related to every single living thing on this planet. You right. share a common ancestry with them. And it's just kind of astounding, regardless of how different life may be at a very basal level, you're connected to every single life form on this planet. It is really cool. It is really cool when you, you, you kind of put it all together. Um, well, my number one is not going to be as coolly explained. We did <laughs> mention it. <laughs> I, I honestly, I love this. I wish I could do more episodes like this. Like this is like I've been a learning experience for me. I'm glad. So thank you for that. Uh, my number one is the T Rex. Simple, simple as that. Um, it, it's it, it's an amazing creature that's been glorified of a, a, a pop culture, um, just a pop culture, just. Juggernaut. Yeah, basically. It's, you know, just uh, how many references to, to the Tyrannosaurus is, you know, is there, whether it be Power Rangers, whether it be uh, comic books, there's just a T-Rex. Again, Jurassic Park, there's so many different things where T-Rexes are just a, a – it's such a massive part. And it is a really cool, um, unique and just very unique animal. There's nothing like it alive today. No. That's, that's, that's something that's – that's a common theme I, for me and probably for you on this list is that nothing like these animals, or for the most part, nothing like these animals exist today. True. Like, it's something that when you just even see the, the fossil, the skeleton of it, you're kind of in awe of it. It's because it's like you're, this seems so alien, but it's not. It, it right, because you've never actually, like, seen one in person. Yeah. Like, this, 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 the concept of it, and it's... It's one of those things, like, pers- how do I phrase this? Well, seeing is believing is, is, is was the first phrase. And it's like you, you really can't imagine what this creature's like unless you you're standing next to You can't get the scope of one. it, yeah. Correct. You get, the, you get an idea of it that's, you know, helped created by pop culture. But yeah, oh, yeah. You, you don't, you'll never really know what it's like to, to be alongside one of these creatures. Yeah, like, for me, it goes back again to if you look at... At a T-Rex straight on, it is staring back at you. It's just so weird that, like, you can see the orbital bones. They're, they're in front of its face, and that, you know, gives it that binocular vision. But it's just so weird to, like, this thing is looking at me. Right. As as opposed to an animal with, like, peripheral vision. Even though they can kind of look at you, it's not the same as where it's, like, this predator is looking at me, even though it's dead. <laughs> it's been extinct for a long time. It's, it's like, just it feels like it's staring a hole through you. It's so yeah. eerie, even though there's no, there's nothing in those sockets. It's just like I don't know how to explain it. No, I, I know exactly what you're going for, but um, but yeah, what a great list, dude! Thank you so much for bringing this. I'm and so, coming I'm out. so glad I came on. I I, I, I hope I didn't like blab too much. No, listen. As a podcast like host and like I, I want to do different things. I don't, I want to get out of my like comfort zone. Oh yeah, definitely. I want to learn as much as I can. Like it's easy to come on these episodes and name stuff stuff off that you know, right? Yeah. It's yeah. easy for me to come on and be like, yeah, you know, the peanut butter and jelly top ten sandwich, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super easy. But when I get to like learn like to that extent, like you know, a lot of the things, some of it is advanced, but a lot of the things are like the dots I, I, are connected. I tried to. I'm like, I should have. I, I tried to explain jargon as best no, I you could. Did good. But, uh, you did very good. No, I got the idea of it. And a lot of the stuff, uh, reasons for extinction, anatomy, and all that, all that, you know, it, it made sense to me. And hopefully, you know, I'm to glad. the listeners. So you did a very good job. Yeah, I, I hope 
to anybody listening to this that you're able to walk away with at least something <laughs> and not just like, oh, this guy's going on forever. <laughs> They'll probably be like mad at me for like being like, yeah, he likes the T-Rex because of Power Rangers. <laughs> I'm just teasing. But no, this is great, dude. Uh, if you ever want to come back on, the door is always oh, open. Definitely. You just um, let me know and, and we'll create and, yeah. and we'll make uh, we'll make another top 10 list. I, I don't have anything to plug, but... Um, I have some book recommendations if people just yeah, want to absolutely. read more stuff. So first one is a book called Your Inner Fish. It's by Neil Shubin. Uh, it's basically lays out it, – it talks about the discovery of Tiktaalik, but also lays out all of these innovations found in your body that can be found in um, other life forms, like the origin of your hands, of your inner ear bones, of stuff like that. Um it's very accessible. It's not super like jargon heavy. He does a very good job at explaining everything. Um, if you're if you find yourself interested in that and you want something a little more like in depth into like the evolutionary developmental biology perspective, because that's some that's a main like through line of that book is that evolutionary developmental biology explains how these the mechanisms by which these new structures can arise. There's a book called um, Endless Forms Most Beautiful by Sean Carroll. And it's a very, again, it's a very accessible explanation as to how these things occur and how these, how gene expression plays into and development plays into the origination of new structures and animals. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, make sure you go check out those books. I was like picking up a nice book. And uh, learn a little bit of stuff and things. Of course, all this stuff is also available on the internet, too, if you want to search out, of course, the animals that we were listing and whatnot. But uh, that's wrap, everybody. On behalf of uh, Tyson Eyes, I always ask, do you even list? Let's see it.